I love you. Alright, Couch Potatoes. I know you're looking at the title and you're thinking, Sequel Smash sounds a lot like Genre Smackdown. <laughs> well, you're right. It is the exact same concept. Just with sequels rather than genres. That's right. Uh, which which are, in, uh, you know, not significantly to the title at all of it. They are in the same genre, but yeah, that's that's the nature of sequels. Yeah, sometimes you'll have a different different uh, um, genre, you know. Yeah, well, that's but typically fair. it'll be the same. You know, you'll have like action, and it'll become like an action comedy, right? Um, or like, for example, a movie that we've done in the past is uh, uh, Evil Dead Two, and yeah. the Army of Darkness is a lot different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it went from horror to horror comedy to comedy fantasy. Yeah. But uh, we're green faceless on the couch. I'm the green traveler. I am the faceless Leon. This here is a podcast about movies and TV. And, uh, you know, there might be some spoilers ahead. Uh, we'll let you know if they're coming. And uh, but we'll, you know, we'll try not to spoil these movies completely for you because we want you to see them. And uh, also uh, we talk about world events sometimes, but not really. Not recently, we haven't really. Yeah, not not the focus. Not the um, focus. But we're talking Blade Runner today, and its sequel, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. And uh, to contradict what Faceless Leon just said, we will be spoiling a lot about these movies. I think, because <laughs> um, I want to talk about them. Uh, these are two of my all time favorite movies. Uh, there's a lot of movies that are like very close to me that I don't want to watch yet because I want you and I to get more comfortable with the podcast. I want, you know, right. I want to be able to record in the same space. <laughs> and like I feel oh, like once we're able geez. to do that, it'll be really nice. Yeah, um that'll be 2024. 20, and and I think that'll help our uh our quality too cuz you know, right now you might hear my laundry in the background or my dog eating food. Um <laughs> But yeah. whereas if we have our own studio or our own space where we're actually able to just, you know, set up and sit on a couch and actually talk movies, I think our quality will be much nicer then. Yeah. Imagine green and faceless on the couch, actually on a couch. That would be beautiful. That would right be Right now crazy. I'm on a creaky chair. <laughs> but uh, Blade Runners are two of, as I said, two of my all-time favorite movies. And, you know, I'm totally okay with discussing them here and now because i badly wanted to watch them again and i didn't have to twist your arm that much to do so <laughs> no not really no it would have been nice i think uh you know i i'm gonna say this but then immediately retract what i what i say it would have been nice if there was three movies and then we could just done a, a blade runner threesome but there's not three movies and i think it's the the retraction is i think it's perfectly encapsulated in these two movies yeah honestly uh, um the sequel smash idea that we have there's so many movies out there where we can pit a movie and a sequel together you know it doesn't even have to be a direct sequel like we could talk any you know like if we're i can't think of anything other than halloween but like you know pit halloween versus halloween three you know it doesn't have to be just two movies um yeah but 
you know, one of the one of the key factors when we're going to talk the, in, in this segment is, was the sequel worth it? And, you know, with Blade Runner, uh, 1982 Blade Runner from Ridley Scott, there was no need for a sequel. And then Denis Villeneuve came forth with Blade Runner 2049, and it's just like, you know, we're going to do this sequel. And it's like, all right, I don't know if this is a good idea because that movie's perfect. It's, you know, um, what Ridley Scott ended up releasing in, like, the early 2000s, I don't remember when the final cut was released. That's the version we're going to be talking about today is the final cut. Um, but his full vision of the movie is great. You know, final the final cut is beautiful. I love it. Um, I think that I've only ever seen the final cut because I think the first time I saw it was with you. I think I I think I saw a couple of uh, scenes uh, like when it was on HBO or something when I was younger. Um, <clears throat> but I never sat down and watched the whole movie. Yeah, the um, yeah, but the old Blade Runner is famous for having seven different cuts. Yeah, and I'm not going. I'm not going to go through them. Oh. Yeah, I'm not going to go through them because I honestly don't know the differences between them. Sure. I just know that the studio and producers interfered with the edits of the cuts. You know, it's like what Ridley Scott wanted to be put forth. His full vision wasn't actually put forth until the final cut sometime in the 2000s. You know why? I mean, you'd think they'd, they'd trust the guy who did Alien. Right? <laughs> Seriously. No, there's... But this is a very controversial style of movie. You know, neo-noirs haven't... Um, you know, yeah. they haven't really been a, a big thing for, you know, since like the 50s and 60s kind of a time. Uh, and that might even be wrong. I honestly don't know the history of neo-noirs, but, you know, it, it wasn't really popular in the 80s. So the producers right. wanted to make it as marketable as possible. I guess um, that's fair. <clears throat> but again, it's, it's just not having faith in, you know, the audience. But also the audience today don't really like high art films. They like, you know strict yeah. action give um, me give me those explosions hey give me the give me the crappy effects and transformers um you can't even tell them apart we'll talk about those movies yeah someday we'll know. we'll have to we'll have to yeah. just so we can complain um yeah but yeah let's start with uh, let's dive into blade runner from 1982 with ridley scott let's go further into that uh it's written by hampton fitcher and uh or hampton fancher sorry and david peoples um hampton fancher would later do blade runner 2049 which is great um david peoples wrote 12 monkeys with his wife uh i don't know if you've ever seen have you seen 12 monkeys i love 12 monkeys actually really nice yeah terry gillum of monty python directed yeah uh stars bruce willis that is a that is a loopy movie. Yeah, uh, you can they, see it. The similarities with Blade Runner, though, it's a very gritty yeah, kind of sci-fi. Yeah, um, which I don't know how much you know David Peoples' influence was on the either movie, but his writing style lends well to gritty sci-fi. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's based off Philip K. Dick's Androids Dream of or Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. Uh which I have read, and I gotta say that the movie is better. <laughs> I think it's a good it's a good short story or not short story, good uh, short novel. But 
what Ridley Scott accomplished in 82 is amazing. You know, there's no... Yeah, the world is definitely really, really interesting. Because of this movie's success, it helped uh, other stories by Philip K. Dick become movies like Total Recall and, uh, I think, Minority Report. But it's set in 2019 Los Angeles. Uh, so, you know, they weren't too far off from what 2019 era. was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty similar, pretty close. Yeah, it's not like, I mean, we hadn't completely devol- de- yeah, dissolved yet um, as we have now. Uh, <laughs> but we also, you know, we don't have replicants. Minus the replicants, we still don't have robot people. Um, well, functioning, fully functioning, and you know, able to pass the Turing test, robot people. And we've just started colonizing other places, and they've had a couple of successful colonies. I should put that in air quotes. Yeah, <laughs> successful audio air quotes. Replicants are uh, basically robot slaves uh, created by the Tyrell Corporation in the Blade Runner world. Um, who are used to cultivate those uh, colonies. You know, they're used to work on off-planet. I don't really know specifically what they do. It's probably like drilling and, you know, stuff like that. But a small group of them escape and flee to Earth, and they're led by Roy Batty, um, played by, like, amazingly played by Rucker Hauer. Yeah, very interesting performance, for sure. I think it's the best performance by Rucker Hauer. Um, and the cops enlist uh, retired Blade Runner. I think he was retired. Rick Deckard, um, who is kind of reluctant, doesn't really want to, you know, get involved to find to find and, as they call it, retire the Blade Runners. Um, but by retire, they are literally just killing these robots. Right. That's what the Blade Runners do. They they retire the replicants. And, uh, yeah. I mean, that's that's really just the whole, you know, that's the, the basic plot of Blade Runner is, you know, Rick Deckard's investigation into finding and retiring these escaped replicants. Right. But it's, it's, it's famously, like, very neo-noir film. You know, it's slow-paced. Uh, it takes a lot of time to just seep in the atmosphere of the world. The world building's really interesting because earth is still like very crowded like i don't i get the i get the sense from the scenes that they are showing that um most of the living places are overpopulated like everywhere is like new york now and yet people are trying to get off world to get to it there's like these floating billboards that they are saying go live off world on on them too it's like there's there's a better life out there filled with adventure uh off world but like they're really like in the background you also get the sense that the off world colonies are really shitty and that's why they have all these slaves to mine and i think i think the replicants also they have combat replicants as well so probably like guards and stuff i mean roy might honestly have been combat (laughs) i think he was yeah i think roy was one of the combat models and uh the other male replicant i can't remember his name but he's in the 
the first scene. Mustached replicant. Mustached replicant. He um he was a labor unit and then Pris was a um pleasure unit. Yeah, she's the the lady replicant that at the end just reminds me she had to be like the origin for Harley Quinn, like the pure inspiration. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um and uh then there is uh Zora who uh she is she, i don't think she is a pleasure unit i can't remember what they call her but she definitely ends up working in the red light district of of this area that decker works oh wait maybe i got them backwards wait is zora the one at the end that's no that's definitely pris yeah pris pris and roy are are kind of an item which is kind of weird because like you're you're led to believe for at least for like what the the society wants you to believe is that the replicants aren't capable of human emotion but like i feel like the 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 theme and point of the movie is to tell you otherwise yeah that's kind of the theme of the movie is what makes you human um you know it's i mean we'll, we'll get to the end but like there's just a beautiful line from rutger hauer at the very end that like it's still i've seen this movie so many times and every time he gives that line i like i have tears in my eyes it's so it's deep and it's sad but yeah it's the as you were saying like the world is like so cramped and compact and it's it's beautiful just to fly around like it's not beautiful to look at it's very uh cyberpunk um you know it it, kind of defined that aesthetic of cyberpunk um you know the music is just beautiful and kind of like uh sinister um almost like i mean it's kind of serene at the same time but it makes no sense (laughs) um but the the music's by vangelis um and vangelis later did the music for uh carl sagan's cosmos um so you know huge sci-fi sound and it was like classic you know it's classic composition with synthesizers um yeah, it's just like I don't know. I I know the twenty forty nine music better than I know the Blade Runner music, honestly. Um, but but the twenty forty nine is very loyal to what Vangela set forth here. For sure, like they definitely reused the, the themes and stuff uh, in the composition. Talking about flying over the world, there is this shot towards the beginning of the city. Uh, and there's these smokestacks that just explode at the top of them when they release uh, into the air. And it, it's a very smoggy world. It is definitely um, a dystopia. Like they, they are, they're not, they're, <laughs> they're not giving a pleasant view of the future in this. <laughs> this movie it's very ruled by corporations and big brother you know it's like as you were saying there's billboards everywhere like you you get to see what uh businesses they thought were going to be huge back in 1982 what what would be huge in 2019 uh what you know it's a fun prediction too like i mean otari could have been still huge but uh, you know other companies um you know it's like 2049 did that too where it was like what what movie or what what 
businesses are still going to be huge. Like, I think there's a Google sign. It's like, yeah, it's pretty safe, but pretty safe until now. Yeah, right now. Yeah, right now they could be broken up. Who knows? Um, but uh, Sony, like, they did have some Sony signs in 2049. But yeah, it, it, the, the world is just very realized and very beautiful. Um, not again, yeah. not beautiful in a visual sense. Uh, you know, it's it's not even like they don't even focus on the the world, like the close details of the world, just the scope of the world, right? Hovering over all those cramped buildings, and like you can see, as you were saying, like you can see housing or what looks like housing, and it's just like all compact, which is kind of weird because there is a line later where when uh uh J F Sebastian is taking Pris into his home and he's like no no housing problem down here and he's in like this big huge building all by himself and i'm like so so there's sometimes where some things that you feel like should be the norm in this world get com- contradicted yeah i kind of feel like he's living um, in an area that felt like it was deserted like there was some yeah, reason why everybody definitely. was like cleared out of this area, and for whatever reason, right. he's just like the the rat that stayed behind. Now, he does give off that <laughs> feel of a, of a rat, kind of that that character. A little bit, especially right when you first meet him. But he's so nice. Like JF is like the nicest character in this. Yeah, movie. it makes me sad, but but his yeah, character yeah. is like, um, you know, that viewpoint of he doesn't notice any kind of discrimination between him and the uh the um the replicants right because he he kind of feels more like them than he feels like a human you know he feels just as much of an outsider just as like uh emotionally unattached to things um but like as you said like there's this belief that you know the replicants aren't human you know they're they're less than human um and it, it becomes a bigger thing in 2049 that, you know, they might actually be more than human. <laughs> um, but, but, but here in the original Blade Runner, though, it's, it, it's kind of just like, you know, look on race in a way. Um, the replicants as being less than, but as Rutger Hauer kind of proves throughout the entire movie, they're very much not less than. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they're yeah. physically... Um, strong yeah they're stronger they're more capable of able like more capable of things physically um many of them are smart they're definitely not unfeeling yeah they're definitely not unfeeling i think even like there's even in the beginning like the big title screen they kind of do the uh you know the star wars thing uh it's not as big and loud as a as in star wars obviously but there's this scroll of text that goes by and i think they say that the replicants are as smart if not smarter than the engineers that made them and like it's it's fairly fairly true uh you know rucker has yeah. that conversation with uh tyrell at the end or near the end you know around act three um he, he has that conversation where the, you know they're kind of discussing because the replicants have a short lifespan and Riker Howard's character, um, he has a name, right? I wrote it down. Rucker Howard? His character. I thought he had a, he went by some uh, kind of nickname. Uh, Maybe not. Um, Rucker, uh, yeah, he played Roy Batty. Roy right? Batty, that's right. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think you said it earlier. I did, yeah, just completely it's, blanked it's on it. It's been a long yeah. weekend. It really has. Yeah, we are low energy. Sorry about that, guys. Um, and girls. Or <laughs> ladies, I should say. Guys and ladies. <laughs> Shit. Sorry, humans. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, sorry, replicants, too. Oh, yeah, you're right, Dan. Yeah, I, for one, am okay with the replicants being part of society. Like Me, too. But obviously, like, they they were made with the intention to be slaves. And so... Just like the human race to create something beautiful and be like, all right, now yes. we are slaves. Oh, yes, yeah. It is, yes, you're correct. It is very much. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, like, the, the people in the society are like, oh, yeah, they're not human. It's fine. But, you know they they revolt on, on several occasions uh in the outer colonies and then become actually outlawed on on earth and um that's the reason why the blade runners came about in the first place uh which is harrison ford's occupation well not anymore as you stated earlier he is retired um but he they do that they do that uh the test i can't remember what it's called voight they do the voight test um test is interesting yeah like they set the subject up they have a camera focused on the eye you know they ask like a buttload of questions and i mean it's kind of just like the turing test you know it's like eventually the blade runner is going to be able to tell whether the person he's talking to through the test is a replicant or not um they just right, they, right. they judge it off the emotional responses to everything um but it, but it's uh you know i guess deckard was amazing at that he was one of the best um but he goes to visit uh the tyrell Cor- corporation like right at the beginning of the investigation and he's presented with a newer model of replicant that is so realistic it takes more than like uh, i guess like a hundred questions or more to you know before deckard was able to realize that she was a replicant um and the problem with that is deckard found himself a little bit attracted to her as well as as the genre the the neo-noir genre like tries to go for is that it lives in the gray that's that's where the genre is like the the protagonist always seems to have uh some compassion for the people in that he that it is his quarry at some point or at least the 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 female lead that's caught up in in the bad shit that's that's uh that seems to be the trope um but anyways uh yeah he definitely falls for her that's his character development throughout the movie you know is um he he spent his whole life retiring replicants basically and now he kind of has fallen uh, fallen for one of them um right and i i think what i was gonna say is that the reason why he retired uh himself which isn't execution for him um, the reason why he stepped back from his position was because he saw the line blurring between whether or not these people should be considered uh, living intelligent creatures. Because with each new model, they're becoming more and more human. Right, exactly. He, you know, he 
he he's forced to retire like find and retire these three very dangerous ones but he he's very reluctant to do so you know he doesn't kind of show much attachment to the case at all um and honestly he kind of stumbles his way through a lot of it uh you know he, he kind of just gets information he's <laughs> yeah. like fuck all right i gotta go check this information out and maybe he's a little rusty i don't know uh, yeah but, but he does kind of bumble through some things but he drinks a lot yeah it, it has that one long scene where you know the the famous enhance enhance yeah <laughs> but but like even throughout that whole scene you know he kind of uh kind of just stumbles his way through that you know he's just like wait what was that go back yeah huh zoom in on that enhance yeah. and oh that's something in the mirror oh i got i got my next lead cool yeah which is kind of like like obviously tech has not has never gotten to the point where you can like hit a button or say enhance and it would make pixels look clear that has never happened it won't ever happen um but when he yeah maybe i don't know i guess i shouldn't say that i'll be 50 and i'll look back on this and i was like well i was wrong um but anyways uh when he's enhancing on that mirror he changes the angle and the reflection changes too yeah. and i'm like it's a photograph right i thought that too <laughs> yeah you can't change the angle of the photograph yeah it's it's ludicrous how it's presented i think they were trying to do something similar to like you know like the iron man tony stark kind of thing where you can like make a 3d version of it and then right. look through it but with what they had presented in 82 they just couldn't make it look like that it, it, it looks bad it's sure, a, it's a silly funny. scene honestly yeah and i think he still has like a vhs player yeah yeah right (laughs) yeah it's a very i mean as you said it's very um dystopian like it's very 80s feeling but it's just it's a beautiful movie i love it very much you know harrison ford wanted a role with more depth because you know he, he had just gotten famous from you know han solo indiana jones you know, characters that didn't really have anything for an actor to to do, just to just to be a face and be an action star, and right. so you know he wanted a role with depth, and you know this one sparked a lot of controversy. Well, it, but good controversy, not controversy in a bad way. It was you know controversy in was he a replicant, was or wasn't he? You know, it's it, is Rick is Rick Deckard a replicant? Do do you go through the movie thinking he is? I I have never once watched this movie and and saw it through that lens. I have to be honest. I think um, I think he is. You think he is, even with the sequel until twenty forty nine. Yeah, twenty forty nine changed it because they made it. You know, I I don't know if they blatantly say that he is ever a human, um, hmm. but there is. You know, it it does bring in the question in tw- more in twenty forty nine. But we'll get to that. But just from this movie See, alone, I feel like he is a replicant. You know, he's he's just as good of a model as uh, the lady he falls in love with. Huh. Huh. I don't know. Like, he, he definitely does not display the supernatural abilities that the replicants uh, put forth in this movie. 
So I don't know. I never, I never thought about it that way. <clears throat> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't get that at all. It's a huge controversy. Um, you know, people love to talk about it, and uh, you know, Ridley Scott believes that he's a replicant. But like the argument is like at the end, you know, Edward James Olmos's character. Uh, I can't remember his character's name right off the top of my head. It's Gaff. Um, yeah, Gaff leaves that little. Uh, unicorn origami on the table and that's what you know harrison ford's dreams were from earlier so people people imply that it was a uh planted memory oh okay because she had plant uh rachel has planted memories okay and those are huge in the sequel yes yeah that's a big deal in the sequel i yeah i see how people could see it that way i I don't know. Yeah, I guess given that he, given that, yeah, I thought the unicorn though because there is some symbolism with the unicorn being uh, representing something that is unique and hard to find, and I thought it was just a reference that their relationship and Rachel really being human was to gaff a unicorn i thought that was what he was putting forth and i thought when decker was dreaming uh the unicorn was representing rachel that's what i that's the lens i saw it i mean that's good i mean that's a good argument against too i don't really you know i haven't researched it at all i always just like watching it from the eyes that record could be a replicant too because you know he is kind of he is kind of used by the police force just like the replicants are used off world that is true like they just call him in and he has to go they they arrest him in the beginning actually i've been wanting to talk about that scene uh if we may that that first scene with uh edward james almost that scene opens up it's also the first time you meet uh deckard too uh he's ordering some kind of lunch uh at this stand and the uh the the proprietor of the stand does not understand <laughs> yeah um and he's like i want the number four and he's like no you're gonna get the number two but in a different language and um anyways, pantomiming the whole time he, he re- yeah he resigns to be good with the number two and that's when edward james oimos comes up and he is also speaking another language and he calls over the proprietor and says, hey, what's he saying? And the proprietor then speaks English. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that makes no sense. And then the next scene that you see Edward James Oimos in, he's speaking English. I don't understand, Greg. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know if there was much thought put into it at all. But, I mean, the world is also based off of uh, that Hong Kong feel um especially that area and they do there is a lot of changing in languages um because of the you know the amount of tourists and everything out there so like i think i think at some point they do call the sector that they are working in chinatown but it feels like it's a whole city yeah it definitely does um you know gaff could have came up and like spoken a language that the proprietor understood but couldn't speak 
And so the proprietor might have just been like, fuck it, I'm going English. And just like said English because he was like, oh, I know all three. I know these two know English at least. Yeah, but yeah. It does, I have no it idea. Is, it is definitely a weird, uh, weird feeling scene. But I do also like yeah, Gaff, like, but I feel like they don't, they don't focus on Gaff at, at all. No, they could have they could have brought him in more, I think, uh, especially given like his decision at the end of the movie. Uh to not pursue them even though he knows they're going to be on the run it felt very out of left field there too you know it's just like yeah because yeah. you don't really get a pinpoint on his character through the few scenes you meet him you just you just know he no, likes to make no. origami <laughs> yeah you know he likes to make origami and he honestly seems like more dedicated to the job than decker but chill still um but chill yeah he's got swagger oh for sure yeah, I I love his outfits. He's smooth. They're, they're fucking awesome. Yeah, I feel I feel bad that I like I always just know him from Stand and Deliver. Like he's done so many he's beautiful good. things, but it's like I only yeah. remember Stand and Deliver. He's Stand Deliver. That new the the I I actually don't know if they've done one since, but the newer Battlestar. Uh, I've seen. I haven't seen all of that, but his performance and the episodes I have seen are really is really good. And then there's just a but he's in a bazillion side roles that he's just he always brings he always brings it. But how do I reach these kids? How do I reach these kids? <laughs> we should talk about that movie sometime. Yeah, it'd be fun. I had to watch it in class, and I feel like I was the only one in class that was like, "I love this." <laughs> it's it's a good movie. I feel like the majority of high school students aren't gonna be cool with watching that movie it's like i don't want to watch a show about my life you're right i don't want to watch just a movie about kids in class while i'm a kid in class yeah there's no transcendence there um <laughs> but i think the last thing i want to talk about with normal blade runner before we move on to 2049 is uh that final scene with rutger hauer um because it's beautiful you know it's yes yeah, um Basically, it ends, uh, spoilers here, you know, for the next couple minutes. Um, basically, it ends with, you know, a big chase in this in that abandoned building we were talking about earlier between uh, Roy Batty and Rick Deckard. Um, and, you know, Roy is kind of going crazy. He's, very, he's at the end of his life cycle. Or life cycle. Um, he's shutting down. You know, he's, he's poking nails through his hand just to feel pain because his hand is, you know, clamping out on him. Um, and he's, and he's chasing Rick around this house, but he's never, you know, he's never going above and beyond to kill Rick. He's just, he's putting the fear of God into this guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think like you said, it is mostly so that he can feel like he had an impacting moment at the end of his life. I think it's important to say that his model of replicant, the Nexus Six, right? Yeah, I think so. Or is it five? I think it was the six. Um, uh, anyways, they only live for four years. That is to try to keep them in line. But really, I think what it did was make them break bad uh, more easily because they're like, I only have four years to live. And once they realize that their life is actually worth living they want to go live it <laughs> exactly and 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 that's his point when he chases rick down to the very last second you know rick 
Uh, Rick's trying to, it's, it's raining outside. Rick gets outside and he tries to jump across this gap to another building and he doesn't make it. He's hanging on for dear life. And along comes Rucker Howard, and he makes that leap perfectly. With his broken fingers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rick's fingers are broken at that point. Um, you know, uh, Rucker makes the jump. Beautiful jump. You know, he does, sticks the landing. And he turns around, he goes over, and he just lifts uh, Rick Deckard up onto the roof. And, you know, Rick's probably thinking he's going to die now because, you know, right, the replicants right. got him cornered. But the replicant just, you know, he kneels down in the rain and he just, you know, before he dies, he gives like a last monologue. And, you know, it's, it's a beautiful monologue. I won't say it all because, you know, I, I can't deliver it as beautiful as he has. But he like he lists, you know, these beautiful memories of like what he has seen, you know, in his time and space, like as a, in a work colony and everything. And, he you know, he, he just tells this to Rick Deckard. And then he just says all those moments will be lost in time like tears and rain but it, it's just it's a beautiful delivery and beautiful line because you know he he's basically just stating that you know th- as a replicant as this you know less than human being i've seen more beautiful things than you have you know i can do right, more right. beautiful things than you can do um you know he's smart he's inte- he's smart he's athletic he you know he's got this drive he just doesn't have the time and it's it's just so sad, and it it, it definitely like, d- like it definitely drives home that there's nothing about humans that make them better than replicants in this world, um, and I think that's kind of what Rick's you know Rick besides, sees. Besides the fact that they are in control, that is it. That's the only thing that puts humans over the replicants uh, in this world. I mean, there's just so much to it, but it's just it, it's just a beautiful moment that like even today. You know, I've watched this movie, I don't know, more than 10 times easily. You know, I didn't like this movie when I first started watching it. Um, I kind of thought it was a chore to get through it. Um, I watched it once the first time just to, like, be able to talk about it with a friend who wanted to talk about it. Uh, so, you know, I was kind of already, like, against it because he was constantly egging me to watch it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I watched it and I was like, man, it's it's, it's long, it's slow, it's... You know, I don't, I don't care for it. The acting's weird at the end, but you know, now I watch it and I know that it's not, um, you know, Rucker Howard's performance. It's not weird. He's shutting down. You know, he's yeah. he, he's scared. He's like, he he's at the end of his life. You know, and he doesn't want to be, but he's he's gone. He he went to the last avenue at the Tyrells to you know to expand his life and got denied. He well, he's basically told it was impossible. That was a ASMR no-no right there. Sorry, guys. Decided <laughs> to pour more drink. Uh, yeah, I did want to say something, though, uh, about that last scene. Uh, Harrison Ford has some great faces yeah. <laughs> in that last scene. Like, there's this one time where he just, like, sits up against the wall. Right after uh, Roy Batty dies, he sits up against the wall and he has his his tongue like half out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I I I love Harrison Ford, and uh, definitely, especially for what he's done with for the sci-fi genre alone, which I know isn't really his favorite part of his career. But uh, he, yeah, he's a great actor. But there is some funny faces in this last scene. I don't know. 
this really is not my favorite movie um i think it is a good sci-fi uh like like you said the social commentary is there and you know any good sci-fi should have a good social commentary behind it it's kind of slow um the world is great but also i feel like there's just a little bit of sloppiness in that world building that could have been cleaned up um and uh yeah i guess that's what i gotta say could have explored some of the characters a little bit more but they wanted to focus on this mystery and once the mystery is all said and done i just don't i don't know it just doesn't quite resonate with me how other movies do but that being said i do think this movie is worth watching especially because it's a classic sci-fi i would say uh, it it um, probably doesn't resonate that well because you haven't watched it from the idea that rick could be a replicant that yeah that might be an interesting lens to watch it through i, I agree i feel like if you watch it with that in mind um it definitely makes the emotional resonance of what's going on a little more um right, right. you know powerful but yeah it's I, I can agree with what you said i you know from you know from a non you know i love this movie so much but it's like from outside of my viewpoint i understand all of that you know it's it, it all makes so much sense um i'm interested in what you have to say about 2049 because i love 2049 far more than i love blade runner and i did not think that was possible well well then let's let's jump into it then Okay, I will go. Uh, so, uh, Blade Runner 2049. Uh, I'm not entirely sure. You said, yeah, you, you said it was 2019, right? In the original. So 30 years later, um, the world's gone even more to shit. Um, and, Much more blue. What's that? Far more blue. Far more blue. <laughs> yeah. Um, it... Uh, so one thing uh, is that there has been a famine and uh, a company helped by synthetic farming. Uh, that is the Wallace Company. Um, so the Tyrell Company was basically banned and outlawed because they kept on making replicants that would break bad. And uh, Wallace bought them out and started building replicants again but the caveat is these ones listen um and so now the uh the outer worlds or you know the colonies whatever they're called are being populated by these new replicant slaves yet there are still blade runners and some of these blade runners are themselves replicants but they only go after the older models yeah, that's that's why they're still Blade Runners because they're still older models right. uh, walking around. Exactly, and I, I feel like um, for really the setup of this movie, that's the synopsis. Um, there's obviously way more to talk about <laughs> with this movie. Uh, it's uh, pretty in depth. The world, I would say, is a little bit crisper in this 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 movie. Um, but it still has that compact feel that the first one has, uh, maybe a touch less chaotic, um, which, you know, maybe this new company, which kind of seems in control of the world more so than the Tyrell company did. 
I would say Wallace seems in control of the world. Um, yeah, they're uh, more they're more like Google and less like uh, trying to think of like a big '80s version. IBM. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. AT and T, AT and T, the bell company. Go. Yeah, that's better. Yeah. Um. So, anyhow, they uh, the world does seem a little bit more in control. Yet, of course, you can't control everybody, and there's a lot of crime and stuff, and a lot of hatred against the replicants because now there are replicants on earth Uh, yeah and like many many more yes many more of them and there's a lot of a lot of uh prejudice against them you know a lot of what are they called like skin skin jobs skin jobs yeah yeah i was gonna say they're not skinheads that's what i was thinking skinheads yeah that's yeah that's a different slur to flesh out that story a bit is you know right as i was saying you know with this movie, what you don't get in Blade Runner is the great central character of K, played by Ryan Gosling, right. who right. is himself a replicant Blade Runner. And so you know he's you know a lot of other cops that he works with, you know real human cops, you know taunt him because his job is to kill his own kind. Right. Yeah. It's like how does that make you feel? And he's not supposed to be emotional, so he does not say and they 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 test his every time he comes back from a mission they test his you know emotional stability his baseline that's what they call it but it like but it's testing his emotional stability because you know they just they they just list off a bunch of kind of just facts or statements right and he repeats the the last phrase that's read to him and it's always it's typically like a repeating phrase that he's constantly you know saying over and over again it's just very weird yeah but it's at a the same different time, it's test just... like they it, wallace definitely changed uh how everything works uh for for testing them at least um yeah uh, i know they call well, they gave a title to the test in this but it, and it definitely was a different test well yeah the void comp is to determine whether or not you are a replicant this is to to ground like to right. you know to determine their mental levels of you know cognizance um but but at the same time it's just you know it's you know as you said the wallaces have kind of upgraded what the replicants were um because k is you know he is very emotionless you know that's one thing always about ryan gosling's characters is he always you know he seems like a steel emotionless person a lot yeah somehow his eyes can give you that emotion yeah, I feel like he just his emotion is very subtle, but yet I feel like he always gives a pretty commanding performance. Yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. Like he he's so like he seems so steely, but at the same time, those eyes deliver everything right. you need. Right. Um, yeah. And and this role was just built for him, I think. Um, I don't know if that's who they had in mind when they were writing K, but you know this is. I think it was, you know, brilliant by him, and he does so little, but does so much by doing so little. You know, other, you know, other characters. There's Ana de Armas who plays Joy, which is his AI girlfriend. Yeah, and I gotta say, like up front, I honestly felt like the romance between those two characters was so much more real than the romance between Deckard and um, Rachel. Uh, in my opinion uh yeah there's I, a weird emotional disconnect with deckard and rachel but yeah. but here between these two ai characters um 
you know, it's very, it's cute. You know, it's, 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 you see him come home from a long day and, you know, he has dinner with his holographic girlfriend. Um, and one of the big, big moments at the beginning is he gets her this, uh, this upgrade because, because she's locked, um, on a track throughout the house, you know, she can go from the kitchen to the living room kind of thing. Um, but he gets her an upgrade that allows her to go wherever he is. Yeah, I think they call uh, it an emitter. That's what they call it. Um, but yeah, I think that the track thing was super cool. So it's kind of a shame that they didn't use it more. Uh, but well, yeah, but I, I liked I like that it. upgrade yeah, idea definitely. though. You know, because it's like you do you do see that it's like well, this is like version one right here, and this is two point Right. Um, right. But that that scene's beautiful when she goes out in the rain mm-hmm. and she stands out in the rain for the first time, acting like she can feel it. I, I well, I almost kind of think she can because like there there are moments you you see the rain mostly going through her, right? But her right. like her skin does re- like I mean it's a, it's again it's a holographic right, image right. so it does right, right. atone for it. But like you kind of get the the opinion that maybe she can feel it. You know there there might be a I, I mean she definitely it definitely. Uh plays even more on the idea of these ais having real feelings so her programming may allow her to uh in some way experience the physical yeah and it's i just it's so beautiful the whole that's one thing that this movie i mean and it's it's unfair to the original blade runner to say that the effects in this are so much better because they are they are you know what 35 years advanced what, what's the uh what was the year that it was 82 yeah 82 and this is 17 so yeah yeah, yeah 35 years but but the effects are just amazing in this movie they are like it's so beautiful especially there's a, a sex scene or well a sex introduction it's not an actual sex oh, scene yes. Yes. with the hologram joy and uh ryan gosling where his hologram girlfriend invites a, a prostitute. Um, yeah. She's met a couple of times, but... Yeah, yeah, she kind of just shows up every now and then. Who I think might also be... I think she is a replicant. Um, yeah, I was going to say, because she uh, appears at the end with that, that group of replicants. Yeah, they try to... I feel like they tried to make her more relevant to the plot than she actually was. That was one of the characters that I thought they could have maybe done a little bit more with, but... Yeah, there are definitely things that could have been padded a little better. Yeah. But Denis Villeneuve has stated that there is a four-hour cut of this. Um, that was his first cut. That he doesn't ever intend to show anybody. Oh, wow. And the reason for that is because Ridley Scott says that even though he likes this sequel, he feels the sequel is too long. Oh. And oh. it is like two and a half hours. So like I can, you know. It is I, I think it's perfect. I, when yeah. we watched it in the theaters, it didn't feel long to me. No, I, I, I don't think there's anything really that needs to be cut away, for sure. But but it did flop in theaters, sadly. Uh, it, it flopped in the terms that it didn't make enough back for it to be a you know yeah. considered in any way a success, sadly. Um, which is devastating to me because again, I love this more than I'm gonna say I love this more than the original. <laughs> like I, I I think it's very clear that I. There's something about 2049 that, because I'm a blockbuster bitch, and it, it takes, you know, the original Blade Runner, and, and, and in a way blockbusters it, 
while still maintaining all of that you know neo-noirish feel um and pacing and atmosphere and everything there's there's a lot of depth to this movie and i i feel like i said that about blade runner but i honestly feel like it's this movie has a lot more colors on the canvas uh comparatively i agree with you i do like this movie more uh honestly i i quite like this movie um compared to blade runner i would say well there's also an emotional resonance that wasn't like as you were saying with blade runner there's not much to to resonate with you afterwards but there's at the end of this movie especially with that last shot you know you're you're kind of left thinking about what just happened what you just saw um Yeah, it it definitely grabs me more, especially when uh, huge spoiler, uh, Rick Deckard comes back when you know near the end with Harrison Ford's character, and I, I honestly think that the you know they kind of fucked that up um, in regards to marketing. I don't think oh, they should sure. have let anybody oh, know he was. Oh in this no, movie. they shouldn't. You're right. Yeah, especially since it's not till like. I would say there's like four acts of this movie and it's not until the third act that he shows up. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put up a spoiler wall because if you ever look up blade 2040 or blade runner 2049, you know, the leading role is Ryan Gosling, Harrison Ford. Right. And it's just like bury the lead guys. Like, (laughs) come on. Um, yeah, I think it would have, it might have benefited from that. Well, though, I don't know. Maybe they were worried that people wouldn't come and see it. And obviously, as you said, not enough people came to see this movie. So maybe that was the reasoning to put his movie, his name on it. But uh, maybe. But uh, but it makes me sad because they got the original, you know, writer back. They got right. Hampton Fancher, right. um, who was like, you know, the main or one of the main writers. It definitely uh, he wrote this feels, one with definitely feels very loyal to the world that was established in the first movie and to you know to go back to the idea of the sequel smash and what the sequel smash is i didn't think blade runner needed a sequel it didn't it's a good movie by itself yeah it said what it needed to say but what this movie is is it's not even really a sequel i mean it with the connection of what occurs in the first movie and with rick deckard that's what makes it a sequel. You know, the story does connect really well. Yeah. But this movie all by itself is something so much more. Like, you know, it it, it didn't need to be as good as it was. You know, it's no, like... No, yeah, you're right. It it could have it could have uh, been 10 degrees uh, less impactful and it would still have been a decent sequel. Um, yeah. Uh, it, I think that the story in this is is honestly amazing um and uh the mystery even even the mystery element is more mysterious in this movie than Blade Runner. Well well Blade Runner you know he's just hunting. Exactly, yeah. He's just yeah. a he as he's a gumshoe detective searching uh you know uh the depths of the city to find replicants. And you know another thing I just thought about that we didn't talk about was you know in uh and Blade Runner, he he just retires these replicants in the public, yeah, you know, like surrounded, like on the street with a bunch of marketing vendors, and he just shoots this person. Yeah, there's a, and everybody's just like, "Yep." There's a couple of scenes where the cops come up to him and all, and he just like he just shows the badge, or he's like, "I'm working." <laughs> yeah, right. And they're just like, "Oh, yep, okay." 
but the people don't even react either you know they see somebody get shot and they're just like well whatever yeah well i mean it's like, crazy I, I mean we've we've seen in our real life the crime rate just kind of skyrocket and but but if somebody got shot in the streets yeah, it would still would be still fucking run. Like freaking out <laughs> yeah uh i agree i agree uh they're definitely very desensitized to the idea of death um in the streets of this world <laughs> before we get into like you know dissecting the plot you know this movie or this movie it also improves on the score in my opinion the score not surprising is done by Hans Zimmer and uh and ben- Benjamin Wallfish who did it and it it chapter 2 hmm. it's beautiful it's the music is so like the, for me the music is what grabs me the hardest about this movie especially when we we're in theaters yeah especially those silent moments there's a lot of moments where he's just looking for stuff and the score really uh does build, help build the tension and it's very loyal to what Vangelis put forth in Blade Runner, but like here, it just builds the atmosphere so much better. I think, um, you know, like I can't hear a motorcycle go down the freeway right now without just immediately thinking about you know the music of when they're just floating through the city of uh, I think this one's in Los Angeles too in twenty forty nine, but like when they're floating through the when they're floating floating through the city. Um, and you have that, you know, just those silent, no, not silent, but you have those beautiful uh, landscape moments where you just, you know, see a spaceship or a flying car, not a spaceship, but a flying car going through all these buildings and everything. And you just hear Hans Zimmer and Benjamin Wolfish's score. And it just reminds you of kind of like a motorcycle revving, you know, in a way, um, a musical yeah. version of it. But yeah, every time I hear a motorcycle rev down the highway, I just immediately am thinking of the score. But I mean, I guess we might as well just like you know dive into the into the plot a little bit more. Sure. Should we like I don't know. Should we put up a wall? There's some things I definitely want to kind of talk about. Yeah. If 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 we need to, I'll definitely put one up here. Cool. Spoilers ahead. Skip to hour one minute fifteen second twenty five. That'll do. I kind of want to talk about that first scene with ryan uh at the farm and uh dave batista dave batista does amazing work in this movie uh, one of my favorite characters in the movie really yeah i mean that's that's the thing is like i love dave batista um you know what he does in the avengers or the marvel cinematic universe is great uh and, you know it's very comedic it's you know it's kind of what you expect of uh wrestler churned actor comedy mm-hmm. though yeah but 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 even in marvel cinematic universe it's still almost like a cut above what you know the kind of performance that you get from the rock johnson yeah forgive me Dwayne, yeah. i love you he he but though the rock johnson has had some great roles i will say yeah uh, he i mean he's a good actor in and of himself but yeah. he he puts forth a lot of family friendly roles and yeah. sadly dave batista did that this you know last two years with like my spy and oh. uh other family movies like that well they're nice but, yeah yeah they, they gotta they gotta make the money yeah um you know you can only do so much with millions yeah you know here in movies like blade runner 2049 and in marvel cinematic universe he shows that he is a damn good actor yeah but especially oh, here my god this uh sapper morton uh is this older um nexus 8 model 
and he has hidden away and now just runs a protein farm. I don't know how Gaz, uh, K's unit got onto him. I don't think that's really explained. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, he's just there already yeah, for, for some yeah. reason. Uh, but like he was a, uh, a medic and, uh, at, he, he himself is a militant unit. Um, and he was also a medic. So that's one of the things that kind of gives him away. I was going to say, I think when they mention the medic thing is when Ryan Gosling explains how they found him. Right. Because I don't I don't remember how they catch on to him, but he, I think Ryan does explain during that scene why yeah. they... I, something about the med pack that he carries on his hip uh, is... It, 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 I think it just confers for K that he was a replicant because that's the only people who were issued those packs. And... He just, I mean, he really doesn't even have that many lines, but he, Dave Batista just knows how to move. He, like, he... His movement's great, and the emotion that he gives his lines, you know, because there's, yes. a, there's a depth in his eyes when he's, like, when he's just talking about these things. That's just, like, you know, he doesn't have to do much to make the delivery of what he's right. saying you can, resonate. You can tell that Sapper has seen a lot. And he just wants to live this quiet life. And now Kay's here and he's either going to have to fight for it or surrender it. Yeah. And, you know, Kay is very upfront that he doesn't want to kill this man. Right. He doesn't want to fight Sapper. He just wants to bring him in and do his job. Right. Sapper's, Sapper can't let that, <laughs> you know, he doesn't, he, he'd rather lose the life than surrender it, you know, and, and continue to, exactly. to be a guinea pig or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he definitely probably would have ended up in Wallace's hands because he was one of the later models uh, of the Tyrell company. And uh, Wallace is obsessed with the old Tyrell models trying to perfect the miracle yeah because that's the uh that's the driving thing that you know from that scene with sapper morton you find uh evidence that a replicant might have given birth and that is the the big driving point for the whole movie is you know it's a miracle because they're not supposed to be able to do that not supposed to and obviously uh the the evidence shows that it that while the uh baby was delivered it was not successful on the mother's end yeah the mother who you know might as well say that the the connecting you know threads between this and blade runner is that the replicant and the parent were rick deckard and uh the the love interest from the first movie i can't remember her name elizabeth rachel Rachel. (laughs) elizabeth (laughs) uh played by uh sean young yes and she's good yeah i really like Um, you know she's very emotionless there's not you know she she does a good kind of like a two-dimensional replicant right well yeah yeah maybe uh but like in the way that it that decker at first when he meets her is fooled like she seems like she's human but just she has that yeah, go ahead. And she just has like a flat passivity. Right, right, right. 
uh, since since I kind of do feel like that is uh, spoilers a little bit, so I feel like there will be a wall here, and I kind of want to jump forward to when they bring her in, since we're just on the topic of Rachel. Uh, it's a copy of her because she's obviously dead. Well, yeah, let's set that let's set that scene up because yeah, because she is you know they do find her dead body, they do find the evidence that she gave birth to a a miracle child. But in that scene, Deckard's been kidnapped basically by the Wallace Corporation, and you know uh, Neander Wallace, who is played by Jared Leto, uh, is you know trying to get Harrison's character Rick Deckard to give up information. You know. It, you know, I don't really know what information he could give up. Uh, he wants to know how it was possible, how uh, she was able to get pregnant. Yeah, and, and, and what would Rick Deckard say? Like, that's my question about this whole movie is, like, Rick would be like, well, I had sex with her and she got pregnant. Right. And we were both right. like, this could happen? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. The, that was my only problem with this movie really is it's like i don't know why the the wallace corporation wants rick deckard that badly because i don't know what information he can give you oh 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 oh, oh. i think i think it was that he could lead them to the uh the underground organization that helped actually deliver the baby and maybe they know more information because they were actually inside her anatomy maybe or you know maybe he's also i can't remember if the movie explains if he's a replicant or not you walk away thinking rick or rick deckard is human and from this movie um they may they may explicitly say that he is human too i just can't remember but well um, i'm thinking on record he is uh human so who knows yeah I've, I've watched the movie this one only three times you know i've seen blade runner so many times but i feel like eventually throughout my life if I live to be of old age, I'll have seen Blade Runner 2049 way more now. Yeah, it's a good movie. I love it. Um, but Jared Leto's Neander Wallace is very miss for me as well. He's another part of this movie that I'm just kind of not... I'm not a huge Jared Leto fan. Right. I'm going right. to be honest about that. Um, I try not to let him stop me from liking characters, though. Right, sure. I hate his Joker, sadly. Uh, he's yeah. great in Fight Club. Yeah. <laughs> where he gets punched a lot oh, i forgot um, that, that was him <laughs> <laughs> yeah because brad pitt wants to destroy yeah, something beautiful yeah uh, uh i do like uh mr nobody mr nobody's cool yeah uh, that's fine that's fine <laughs> <laughs> but, but david uh david bowie was the intended version of neander oh, wallace that's really? who they wanted to but he died before they could start filming Man, I thought this movie came out before that. Bowie just yeah, feels so recent. <laughs> Still feels like it just happened. Right, it definitely does. I think Bowie was sixteen. Um, Damn. But Damn. it's but he, I feel like that would have been an amazing Neander Wallace, David Bowie as Neander. Um, yeah. But but not to knock Jared Leto, he does a good job. I do. Um, I think his uh, his his, uh, his choices are very interesting. Um, yeah, and he's very method actor. Like I guess he walked into the studio with uh, reflected contact lenses that would not allow him to see. So like he he had to have somebody lead him into the studio, and like I guess Denis Villeneuve described it as like watching Jesus walk into the you know into the video. He was moved oh to God. tears because you know he was so devoted to this role. I mean, it does show. 
I, he definitely did a good job. I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to argue he didn't do a good job. But I was also confused. Is he able to see? Because he, he attaches that he, little node and then the little, the black, you know, the tiny versions of the alien pods from Arrival float around. I think that they're attack, attached to his, uh, his, the base of his optic nerves and it's those little cameras that I don't know that they necessarily allow him to see. I think they probably let him see like heat registers and stuff like that. He's got Daredevil uh, vision, Netflix Daredevil vision. Yeah, yeah, he's got, uh, uh, but also like um, sonar and um, uh, radar. Yeah, I'm just going to say, yeah. I don't know if we'll ever talk Daredevil, if we'll do a TV talks on Daredevil, but that's like my one big issue with that show is like, dude's fucking blind. Let's 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 let him have, be blind. Every every time they have to give him some form of vision, you know, it's like no, he's just blind. Is that how the books are? I don't know, not the one I'm reading right now, but but I mean they always well, talk about I, him like, being you know amazing in all of his other senses, but he's fucking completely blind. And in every right. single visual version of it, when they try to make a movie out of it, they have to give him a vision of some sort, and it's like no, just leave it as a black, you know, just emptiness. Yeah, I think like I think though like the sound part of it makes sense, like that he can he can feel the vibrations of sounds off of surfaces, and that's how he's able to get around. Yeah, that makes sense. If they want to do echolocation, then do that. Yeah. You know, we know what that looks like visually, but they don't do it that way. They always give him like he can see like heat registers and this kind of thing, and you know he hears all these all right. sounds, and it's like no. <laughs> Okay, we're not talking about Daredevil. Yeah, back to this. Uh, <laughs> oh, we were going to talk about Rachel. We were going to. <laughs> oh yeah, were we talking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we were. Yeah, we we're talking about that scene with uh, with Rachel in it. Um, uh, that just I just want to mention that that is some of the best CGI work I've ever seen. Oh yeah, it is nice. Uh, it looks exactly like her. It doesn't look like CGI. And there's like one moment when she turns away at the very end that it kind of, that you can almost tell that's it yeah and and i would say the reason for that is you know it's the same cgi that they put forth in the star wars movies but the star yeah. wars movies puts their cgis in bright white fluorescent lighting <laughs> like you know they're on right. ships right this movie it's it's dull yellow most like most of the backdrop is like complete shadow so like they can cover it very well in dull lighting and make it look right. super real. Yeah, it, it is. It is uh, really. I just good. want to mention that is some of the best CGI work I've ever seen. Yeah, sure. I I don't think there'll be anything that really beats it for quite some time. Yeah, I mean that's fair. I I, I can't argue it. I mean it's it's beautiful all around. Uh, like to mention the lighting of that scene alone and how they're able to you know capture how she looks. Right. It's uh, the cinematography is from Roger Deakins, who. You know, he's one of the best cinematographers. He did Skyfall. Right. Um, he just won. He won the award last year. I can't remember what movie it is. Sadly, it's blanking. I'm blanking on it. Um, he's award winning. Yeah, he is award winning now. He should have been award winning a long time ago, honestly. Uh, he, right. He's a brilliant cinematographer, but um, this is one of the few where it's like mostly CGI that he is filming. You know, he's very, I, I feel like he does a lot more realistic. Um, you know, design like it, it, most of the th films that he captures are set in reality. Uh, this is sci-fi, and like that's not his typical um, 
forte oh, he did a good job yeah he did an amazing job and it's it's beautiful and it's mainly again because of the atmosphere that's captured um you know everything about this movie works so well because it's all about building that atmosphere and right. that's just another you know another key aspect of it is the, the cinematography just captures this world so vividly so what else should we should we mention about this movie yeah is there anything else specifically plot related that we should talk about well i mean there definitely the the plot points in this are a lot more twisty than in blade runner yeah and so like i kind of feel like we should keep some of it a good portion of it under wraps yeah for the, the listeners to find out themselves yeah and that's that's fair um i do think one of the things that annoys me is about this uh film is that they do flashbacks or like replays of scenes to like refresh you on what happened you know it's kind of like maybe they'll forget that right. line we mentioned let's real quick they cut did back. that in blade runner though too. they did right. and, it, and it irritates yeah. me i think you can cut that out yeah. you know it's like i agree yeah i get that even even in the first viewing you know i might not remember something and so when something happens i might be like what the hell and you know right. that 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 brief second edit of you know flashback would have helped me in my first viewing remember it mm-hmm but on repeat viewings, it's irritable because I remembered yeah. it. <laughs> you know, I don't need it. You know, I think it makes a better movie if they just cut that out. But there's, I can agree with that statement too. Like, let the let the audience do some work. Like, uh, and you know, a lot of audience members disagree with us. But uh, I mean, the, I I disagree. I with think. Them. Yeah, I do too. I think that they are wrong because, sorry, listeners, because, uh, you know, somebody worked really hard on this art and they did it smart. And you just, uh, just, you know, just try to pay attention. And obviously, you can always watch the movie again. Yeah, I think it's, for me, I think it's rude if you go to a museum and you look at the, the, you know, the art displayed in the museum and you just take it at face value and you walk away from it. I think that's rude. There's so much more to it. There's a lot more in depth, you know, and it's that's kind of what movies are becoming nowadays is face value. You know, you you just put out a bland action film and people are going to walk away, you know, bellies full of popcorn and happy. Um, But which I don't think that that is inherently wrong. But if that's the only thing the industry is going to allow to put out, that's what's wrong. Yeah, that's that's wrong. I, I don't think it's. Yeah, I don't think it's wrong to have blanket, bland movies that are just money makers, because people do like them. Yeah, they do, and uh, I do too. You know, occasionally I yeah. will enjoy a very you know bland. Like I can watch the Fast and Furious movies and be thoroughly entertained. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Yeah, but at the same time, it kind of removes the art from, you know, from this, uh, this medium because yeah. nobody can make money off of the these kind of movies these high heart you know high heart these high art and the sad thing that you know that a lot of movie a lot of money went into this movie so that's sad millions <laughs> yeah and i mean it still probably made millions it just didn't make as many millions and who knows with with cgi going as well it is as it is going maybe it will be cheaper uh 
to make movies uh, sooner rather than later. But, what, but is it going to be better? Uh, Ian McKellen would probably argue not. Um, yeah, I think there is a you know there's a lot more to go into 2049, but being a more recent film and especially a one that wasn't you know it was more overlooked. I, I I don't think there's much else to talk about with this, you know, other than to say that I think it's wholly surpasses the original. Um, I agree, especially being a movie that didn't need to happen. Yeah, it, yeah, you're very. I I agree with your opinion wholeheartedly here. I really thought we were gonna have a disagreement about it. Yeah, I um, mean, I do love Blade Runner, but. Again, there are there are things about it that you know. I agree. I do think there are some faults. Um, right. You know, it's not a perfect movie, and that's that's definitely been said by the fact that it's had seven studio cuts. Um, <laughs> but people still bought those cuts, so I mean, obviously, there's a fan base for it. I do think that I do kind of recall hearing some complaints from fans of the original when this came out. Like as it was coming out, not not com- directly about the content of the film, uh, but the fact that it existed. And they're like, I'm not going to go see that movie. And I'm like, well, that's a shame because you might really like it. Yeah, it's, it was coming <laughs> out at the, you know, at the height of uh, retro. Um, right. Not what, what am I thinking of? Uh, reboots. You know, retro right. reboots. Yeah. You know, because Star Wars had just come out, and you know, people were th- saying, you know, it's like uh, with Force Awakens. You know, like, oh, it just cared. All it cared about was fan service, and you know, it's, it's boring. It's bullshit. They didn't want this because, again, most people thought it was just going to be fan service, especially when they announced that Harrison Ford was in it. Yeah, people just didn't want to watch it because it just felt like it was going to be another, you know, just another reboot. But it, it's not. It's more than no. that. Yeah. It's it adds a lot to uh the world and just like the overarching concept between the two movies it adds a lot um i think this movie is very worth it um so i guess all in all we're saying that um 2049 smashed blade runner i yeah Yeah. wholeheartedly this is one of those few times where the sequel uh rose above and beyond its predecessor yeah, I think that it will not be the case for a lot of other sequel smashes if we do this segment. We'll find often. out. But yeah, I, I I agree. I think most often you find that it's a downhill slope. But here, you know, and they, they are talking about a future of, you know, future sequels. Um, Ooh. <laughs> I, I think that this is a good cap to it. Yeah, I agree. I don't I think mean, it needs to. I don't think there needs to be any sequels producers think that is i don't understand how especially since it didn't do well in theaters yeah um but you know harrison ford said he would come back if the script is good um i don't know if Denis villain would come back but you know ridley scott is always game for more money um (laughs) (laughs) you know i should say that uh the co-writer of 2049 is michael green uh who co-wrote uh alien covenant so like there is that oh. connection with you know really Scott. I'm pretty sure the last Alien movie I watched was uh, Prometheus. You didn't watch Covenant? I thought we watched Covenant. I don't think I don't think I watched Covenant. But we'll definitely do an Alien playlist. Oh yeah, hell yeah! Oh, yeah. I would love that. Yeah. That'd be a lot of fun. But yeah, go uh, 
go check out 2049. Cool. Especially if you've seen Blade yeah. Runner. If you've seen Blade Runner and you were just like, I don't want to see 2049 because I don't think it was necessary. You're right. It wasn't necessary. It's so much better. Go see it. Yeah, it, it's worth it. Um, I don't know that I would recommend to watch it without Blade Runner, though. No, I think I mean, you like, need... I feel like... Yeah, I feel like you need Blade yeah, Runner to watch 2049. Especially, just, I mean, just watch Blade Runner just for Rutger Hauer, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I mean, also, if you're a Harrison Ford fan, like, you gotta watch one of these, like, one of his most iconic roles, I would say. And, and you know, in Blade tw- in 2049, you know, we've already mentioned that Harrison's in it. And I, I do feel like he does a good job at recreating that character 30 years later. I I honestly like his performance better in this movie as well. I agree. It's more uh more emotional. You know, again, it's all about how it resonates and I feel like there's so much more that resonates with 2049. I agree. So that's uh that's been the first sequel smash. The sequel 1. Oh yeah. What a surprise. The sequel 1. Yeah. Well, I've been uh the faceless Leon and I'm the green traveler. Safe travels everybody. Green and Faceless on the Couch is a proud production of FictionWorks 19. We plan to publish new episodes of this podcast every Thursday evening. If you'd like to give us a comment, please visit us at facebook.com slash greenandfaceless. There you'll find many links to our show and to our website. Thanks for listening.